Welcome, everybody. And today, the, the great high privilege of talking to my good friend, uh, Andy Lubash, founder and CEO of Prestige PEO. It's too bad this is uh, audio only because you can't see the big Prestige uh, logo in the background, which I am witnessing on that thing. So, uh, uh, hello, hello, Andy. How are you doing? Doing great, Pat. Great speaking great. to you. Thanks, thanks for being with us today. So, so you, on the podcast, we do uh, equal parts, uh, the story of Andy and the story of PEO. So we're gonna start, you know, sort of like you know where you started, and then we'll we'll when we get to the PEO part, then we'll start talking about the founding of Prestige and how that all happened. But uh, I actually don't know what what town were you born in? Where where'd you start? New Hyde Park, New York. New Hyde Park, unbelievable. Okay, so and went to high school. Hicksville High, Hicksville High School. The wow. same person that taught Billy Joel how to play piano taught me. And, and, look and, at, and look at me in the PO business. So did you ever consider a touring career? <laughs> uh, no. No. Okay. But yeah, so you uh, but you moved in the same circles as Billy Joel, right? A little younger. A little younger. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so that's great. So after Hicksville, uh, uh, went on to school from there. Yes, uh, spent uh, two years at CW Post College on Long Island, and then the final uh, two years at uh, State University of New York at Oneonta. And uh, what was your major? What was your field of study? Were you uh, liberal arts or accounting, or what did you do? Business economics with a concentration in finance. Well, that turned out okay. So <laughs> it actually did. So, uh, and by the way, when when did you start playing hockey? Were you playing hockey in, in high school? Did you start playing hockey later? No, junior high school. Junior. So did you play for the school team? Yeah, I played for in school. Correct. Um, did you wear a helmet? Obviously. I have a hard <laughs> head, though. That's great. But you didn't play in college, right? No, there was no college hockey team. We just played in men's leagues and uh, intramurals. Yeah, so. and something you continued really until pretty recently, right? I still play. That's what I do. Still got it. Okay, so once you got out of college, what was your first job? I was a research analyst for a privately held small boutique investment firm. Uh, Where? In in New York? In Manhattan? In in New York. Okay. And then from there, um, I ended up getting recruited by the Equitable Equitable Financial to help them set up their investment shops. I was their investment coordinator or the equities coordinator. Um, where I travel around the country, working with different agencies, teaching insurance agents about investments, how to present investments as they were trying to expand the offering that life insurance career shops uh, offered. And then from there, um, I got tired. It's a 20-year-old kid waking up in the middle of a town that fell asleep at 6 o'clock with no life. <laughs> and then uh, I ended up actually filing my own broker deal my own securities firm with the NASD. Or personal asset management, which I ran for, you know, quite a few years and uh, was referring clients that were interested in employee benefits to a gentleman uh, that, you know, specialized in it, said, hey, listen, take care of my clients. You know, I'm in the investment side of things. I really would expect, you know, not, nothing from you, but just, you know, good service. And then I found that he was writing, you know, my business, doing 401ks and retirement plans. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm a research analyst by trade. It's my analytical skills. Analyzing benefit, you know, booklets and plan designs is just as easy as analyzing 
a financial statement of a private publicly held company. And so I started doing that and it just grew. And uh, it came to the point that I actually closed the broker dealer, personal asset management, and really at that point became um, an employee benefits consultant and grew a, uh, I guess, a mid-sized agency that mm -hmm. uh, kind of eventually pushed me into the PEO space. So when when do you remember, what, what was your first mention of PEO? When, when did you first hear or learn about what a PEO is? Like at what point in that journey did you finally, did you become aware that there's this thing out there called PEO? It's about 1987. Uh, wow. Uh, what was happening was, was that our clients in the benefits space were asking us for things that were really outside the scope of service that a benefits consultant would provide. Yeah. It started, hey, do you have a COBRA letter? Uh, could you help us with a severance agreement? And the questions were coming in, and our clients did range from small to mid-sized businesses. You know, that was somewhere, you know, five to ten employees, up to our largest client had three or 4,000 employees. Um, they were all asking for the same questions. So we were deciding, all right, let's maybe, you know, bring in, you know, some counsel in-house in our agency, and also an HR um, consultant or somebody that's an HR professional. And we would, uh, you know, differentiate the services that our benefits agency offered by providing these, you know, value ads. Yeah. We knew someone in Florida um, that, you know, we had, I'd known through college and my partner, Alan, knew through college at that point. And uh, we'd said, hey, he's doing something along the lines, you know, with benefits and HR and legal and so forth. And, you know, we gave him a call and he was like, hey, guy, you know, you didn't reinvent the wheel. It's called a PEO. The association is in Washington, D.C. Here's the name and phone number. Called up. Okay. Um, you know, learned a bit about it on the phone from your predecessor. Okay. Um, <laughs> basically, say the same thing that everybody else says after they learn about a PEO. Why isn't everybody doing this? Yeah. Uh, didn't reinvent the wheel. And basically said, this is the future. This is the way of the future. And we started Prestige PEO. Uh, in 87? 87, 88, yeah. And then, uh, but, it's like yeah. 97, 98, 97, 97, 97, 97, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. That's right. I'm old. Yeah, I'm not that old. 97, so, 98. I'm sorry. So it's interesting because, you know, uh, some people start from a standing stop, but you were spinning off of benefits consulting that helped a little bit. Get started. Well, it, absolutely, it absolutely did. Because again, most PEOs actually come from payroll or staffing. Yeah. So coming from benefits, which is a real challenge for a PEO to, you know, get a master benefit program and install benefits in, you know, and have the carriers, you know, believe in you that you're not uh, doing any harm to them definitely helped. It also helped that we were able to go to some of our small to mid-sized clients and, you know, explain the offering to them, say, this is what we're going to be doing. This is what we're going to be expanding into. Um, yeah. What do you think of it? And the comment was, why doesn't everybody do this? Yeah. You know, um, one of the challenges we always had as an industry is, you know, yeah. branding, PEO, what does that stand for? Yeah. Okay, professional employer organization. What is that? Yeah. But when you you know go through the value prop of what we do, it's, it's very hard to resist. Yeah. And so you, when you started, how many? Well, how many internal employees did you have, and how many worksite employees did you have? No, started with zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we all started zero. Um, at first, we had about three or four internal employees, wow. um, and then from there you know, brought in a partner, you know, that uh, had broker relationships, Larry, who's mm -hmm. with me today. Mm -hmm. um, so that helped us develop our sales team as we are a PEO that does deal with employee benefit 
brokers. We don't come out directly to the to the public. Our go to market strategy is through mm-hmm. the benefits consultant, which is where we came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you know, as things were really growing, we put another partner in Brian that was able to handle the internal portion, you know, that we weren't coming back at the end of each day, you know, handling all the, the back office work. He was able to handle that. And then we just, you know, we started to grow. And, uh, you know, in a market, uh, primarily in New York, where, again, PEO was not as popular as it was in certain states throughout the country. But, again, just continuously to tell the story, um, you know, to provide the value proposition of what we what we do. And uh, just growth just became exponential. And here we are 20, almost 26 years ago today. And probably out of those first 15 clients we started with 26 years ago, we still have at least 10. Wow. So that's impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. We're just all, all a lot older now. So. <laughs> yeah, not me, but I'm sure they are. Which, um, so, uh, yeah, so you have been one of the companies that uh, have been really bullish uh, about using brokers. So talk about that. Like, why, why do that? Why wouldn't you have your own internal sales staff, right? Lots of, lots of PEOs grapple with that, what, what they're going to do. And you've had huge success with it. So why? I, and, and again, you know, uh, uh, people should know that we we got invited to speak to a group of brokers, whatever that was, seven or eight years ago, and everybody ran like scalded dogs. You're like, I'll do it. And we were here in D.C. And I never forget it. You walked in that room and you were like, hey, like you guys can make a lot of money with PEOs. You made a lot of friends in that room. And there were people in that room already were like, no, I know what a PEO is. We're doing it. So, you know, where people are like, oh, how do you deal with brokers? Because, you know, you're, you know, your loggerheads with them. Like, no, 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 no. We've got one of our larger uh, PEOs out there that's doing it. So, so why? And, 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 and how did you come to that when not everybody does? And how do you make it work? First of all, again, being a broker, you understand the language. Uh, and that's very important as well. Um, you want to make sure that the broker is, you know, first of all, giving you priority business, not business that they can't find a home for. You know, <laughs> hey, I've got this dog with fleas. Let me see if I can dump it on a PEO. Okay. Um, no, you have to be very careful and very, very selective about that and know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because again, being coming from the other side, you knew what that looked like when you were stuck with one of those cases. Mm-hmm. So you have to, again, protect your book to protect your block. Um, and again, the brokers that we deal with understand that now. So they realize that, you know, we're not someplace that they can try to, you know, send things that they can't find a home for. Uh, one of the main reasons we dealt with brokers also, again, as a, again, being with one, there's relationships there. Okay. Again, um, very hard to direct sell. Okay. Knocking on doors. Hello, would you like to buy a PEO? Um, you know, that's a very hard thing to do, especially where um, you don't necessarily know what that is. So again, by recruiting brokers uh, and and teaching them, you know, giving them a new product to sell or something to new to talk about, you know, they can again talk to their current clients in order for a value add. Hey, why don't you you know speak to these guys uh, about a PEO and listen to what they have to say? On the other side, there may be you know brokers that have been trying to get into a business for the last eight ten years, you know, and now there's something new to talk about. So they can knock on the door and say, hey, I'd like you to listen to this. Um, and again. You're not competing with them as well. The first thing a direct sales force, and again, even being in this space, and there's a lot of great PEOs that sell direct, but you know, when the direct sales force, you know, comes in, the broker gets on the defensive right away and is competing with you. Is, you know, if you remember that, 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 
lunch we had in DC. Yeah. There was a broker sitting on the front row with a with a red circle with a line between it that said PEO. Like no <laughs> yeah. PEO was like a stop sign. Yeah. Okay. And we had to turn him around because he just saw that as a threat. You know, these PEOs are coming to me and, and selling direct and taking away my clients and they're a threat to me. Uh again, you know, when you're dealing Dealing with them, they'll actually bring you business. You, you know, you want to take away that threat. Hey, you know, we're not a threat to you. Uh, we are. We're here to help you grow. We're here to be your. You know, we are a broker-based PEO where you know you can you know, trust that we're going to you know take care of you and provide you with the services to yourself and your client. Yeah. So, so they do become you have an any, ally. Yeah, I know absolutely, and you you've made it work. Do you, do you have any internal sales staff, or it's all brokers? In total, we have a really uh, internal wholesalers. Um, the sales staff we have inside works with the broker. Okay. Okay. So again, they'll go on the appointment with the broker to explain or teach them, you know, what a PEO is. Again, if somebody goes on enough of them, they know how to do it themselves. They'll be involved in helping them get the data to put together the proposal. They're involved in helping them present the proposal. And then after the sale, they're also financially tied to the retention of the client. So that internal, I guess you could say sales associate, business development manager, continues to work with the client and the broker throughout the life cycle of the relationship. Yep. So they are sales, but they're not direct sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And you still go on sales calls, don't you? Yes, I do. So I know you've been such an evangelist you know, and all our stuff, you know, and again, as chair, we'll get to that in a bit, and all your service on the board here. And uh, it was for all our marketing efforts and everything like that. So how do you sell PO? You go into a, into a meeting and what do you do? How do you sell it? What's, what's your message? First of all, it's an educational message. I mean, I go on these calls because, uh, again, I can find out what's happening. I can course correct my PEO by hearing what is coming directly from the public as opposed to filtered information yeah. that may come up through sales or through brokers. And, you know, somebody may turn around and say, hey, you know, we should be doing this. I've heard about, you know, client asked for this or prospect get for this one mm -hmm. prospect, you know, but when you're out there on appointments and you're hearing it and you hear it more than once, once, you know, that, hey, this is something we have to offer, or this is something we're doing really well, let's continue doing what we're doing, or this is something that a client or a prospect is asking that we do. There's even things now that continuously come up um, that if you hear it enough, you want to be able to course correct that we adapt with the client and we adapt with the market. Um, the big thing, I guess my presentation is really education, um, is I educate the prospect as to what a PEO is and the services that a PEO provides start to finish. Um, I even get after making presentations and I might've been the presenter, you know, third, third or fourth PEO that the prospect spoke to, they may, they often come back and say, now I finally get mm. what it is that this is in the pro in the past people were selling to them. Okay. Where I wasn't selling, I'm educated. Mm -hmm. I've even been on presentations where I've said, I think a PEO is just a bad idea for you. It's mm -hmm. not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the prospect came back and said, that's kind of funny because the four people presenting it for you <laughs> told us they, you know, we were getting a discount if we signed on by December, you know, and I was like, no, and I explained why it would be a really big mistake. And I referred her to a, a payroll software company and an HR consultant. It just wasn't, it was a home healthcare agency. It wasn't a great fit for what we did. Um, but again, it's more of, it's important when you buy something or you, you know, you know, engage in a relationship with a vendor, you should know what they're doing, yeah. you know? And then again, you know, it's, and again, you know, it used to be, I'd say about, you know, 80% of it was pushed by benefits mm -hmm. and about 20% was pushed by HR and compliance. Mm -hmm. Now it's about 50, 50. Really? 
And even and even the clients that come on for benefits, when you send out customer satisfaction surveys to follow up with them as to, you know, what is it that, uh, you know, you find the most valuable about the PO relationship, it ends up being HR and compliance. So even if they came on for a different reason, a lot of what we do, um, they'll comment and say, hey, I'm never going back to doing this again myself. You know, I'm never bringing back this back in-house. They may move to another PEO. Yeah. Okay. But generally, you'll find they're not going to bring it back in-house yeah. based upon yeah. the value of the services that we we provide. Yeah. It's it's interesting. On two points on, on um, compliance and on time, we find through our focus groups that those messages don't sell going in. When you say to people like, hey, we'll help you with compliance and we'll help you save time. Like, we don't care. But when you go to existing clients and say, what is the, the, the best thing about a PEO? They say compliance and saving time. <laughs> but, but it's funny, no, no, on the presentation, if you present it the right way, I do yeah. get a big hit on um, compliance when you make the presentation. Yeah. You, know, you say, you got to realize the average small to mid-sized business doesn't have the resources to hire a director of human resources or a compliance right. officer. Right. But the liability is the same. You know, you yep. have the same liability as a Fortune 500 company. You know, yep. somebody comes in from an agency with a badge, they don't go, well, you only have 21 employees, don't do it again. Okay. <laughs> they find you in the same manner they would find a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. And, you know, enforcement and compliance is at an all time high. Yep. And when we look across all the states, all the states are running deficits, they're broke. Mm-hmm. Raising taxes is political suicide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just start finding the living daylights out of businesses for things that they just don't know to try to you know refill our state coffers. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, I know a, I know an auditor. His joke is, I don't go after people that have people. You know, I go after your people, meaning my small to mid-sized yeah. businesses, because the larger organizations have a staff. Yeah, they know they can go into a small to mid-sized business and find a miss. Yeah. So um, it's even more valuable. And if you present that to the prospect of that value in your presentation, um, they get it right away. Because most of them have had some sort of a scrape. Yeah, yeah, no Something doubt. Something has happened. Absolutely. So you started with four internal employees and zero worksite employees. So what do you got now? Now we are about 219 internal employees, maybe 220, and uh, pushing between thirty-five and 40,000 worksite employees. How'd you do it? I don't know. None of them have a call. None of them have a call to say hello. Okay. This this job is worse than being a dentist because nobody wants to go to the dentist. So, you know, who wants to call a PEO? No. Well, you know, Pat, come on. What do I do, Pat? Pat bought me a sign that sits in my office. Yes, I, I was okay. getting it backwards, but the selling the ungrateful to the No, we do the impossible for the ungrateful. The impossible for okay. the ungrateful. <laughs> it sits it sits right next to my desk, courtesy of Pat Clear. The impossible for the ungrateful. That that should be our logo. We we should write that in Latin or something like that. Uh but seriously, how 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 did you grow? Organically. Um again, broker relationships, providing the differentiator, you know, we, we definitely service our clients in a, a different manner than most PEOs. Um, the team model that we provide, the hands-on, um, even though we're now a mid-sized PEO, we're still boutique where, again, it's a lot of hands-on service, you know, maintaining our you know, client retention rate. I mean, there are some years in the past that we had 100% client retention. Um, we've always been in the 90s. Uh, again, you know, we're not just, got to remember, the relationship with brokers, you're not just accountable to the client, you're accountable to the broker too. 
If you lose a client, you've lost the broker, and they're walking around telling everybody how bad and horrible you are. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of checks and balances in the system as well. But it's been organically. It's just been continuously, you know, clients, you know, understanding the value of what we provide, providing the good service, uh, being there for them, you know, especially through a number of different, mm -hmm. you know, times, you know, troublesome times we've seen over the last three to five years. Uh, uh, and uh, they stay with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, what is and you, you touched on this, you, you know, obviously you're in a competitive market in New York uh, and you're, you're in a lot of other states. But I mean, in the New York market, it's competitive. What's uh, I'd like to ask uh, companies, what's your better mousetrap? What is it when, when you go in after three other PEOs to, uh, you know, talk to them? What what's uh, what do you have that they don't? Our principles, our value. Um, you know, the principle here is that we expect our clients to be treated the same way we would expect to be treated if we have a client, okay? Mm -hmm. so that's our mantra. Mm -hmm. That's our principle. Education. Uh, again, we don't sell. We educate. This is what this is, okay? Um, my pricing model, I'm not a bundle. I'm an unbundled pricing model, which sometimes, you know, can help you, not help you. But again, it's this is, this is what we do. And, you know, I can do 10 presentations, and I'd say after at least three to four of them, you know, there will be a comment. Like I said, why doesn't everyone do this? Right. Like, what's the catch? This is too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I can't believe I've never heard of this. Yeah. You know, and again, and you look at, you know, Prestige as an example in New York, an industry that no one knows. All right. Cranes New York publishes the largest 125 privately held companies in New York each year. Mm -hmm. And for an industry that no one knows what it is, we're number 17. That's so, you know, again, you know, it's it says something for just the branding. But once people hear about it, if you educate it the right way and, you know, then there's, you know, there's prospects to say, no, this is not for me. You know, yeah. some no, you run into a prospect that's doing payroll in house. They're not even willing to outsource payroll yet. You think yeah. they're going to outsource the rest of this stuff to you. It's kind of a, a bit of a long shot, but it's it's knowledge. It's just education. It's explaining yeah. it. It's taking the time and then delivering what you say you're going to promise. Yep. Don't promise and then not deliver. Yep. Okay. That, you know, that, 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 you know, becomes a very short relationship. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And you touched on, we, and I, we talked about on the, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before somebody asked me, uh, you know, months ago uh, outside the industry, it was like, so what do your people lead with? Do they lead with healthcare? Do they lead with workers comp? Do they lead with HR? And, and you know, what do they start talking about first? And I and you just touched on it. I said, the best salespeople uh, start by listening. <laughs> and you, that's what you said. Like you want to be, you still do sales calls. One of the main things mm -hmm. I admire about you, you're still out there because you get it unfiltered. You listen. You talked about it before, right? Sort of like you're educating people and you're listening to them, right? And it seems to me like that's a big part of the sales process that you don't just go in and say, do you want to buy a watch? Right, right. 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 And again, and the people and the sales associates, the business development managers that we have here that work at brokers, all do the same thing. We come out to educate. Okay. You know, again, you know, the sale will happen with the education. Client decides, hey, this is something that's in of interest to me. This is something that I need. This is a value to me. You know, and then you come back and making a, f a financial presentation. And that's also important to us. We like to spend that half hour, 45 minutes explaining what we do first. And then come back and make a financial presentation. Because if you make that financial presentation, 
okay, at the same time that you're trying to make the value proposition presentation, they're not listening to the value prop. Yeah, Let me see the numbers. Yeah, Let yeah. me see the numbers. You know, when you understand what we do, the numbers necessarily don't make sense. You know, don't, I mean, don't, don't become a reason, you know, well, you're, you're only saving me a thousand dollars. You know, they never listen to the fact, no, I'm doing a lot more than that. So you do really want to do this in a multi-step fashion where you really do educate and explain ahead of time. So when you do make that financial presentation, they understand what they're getting for, it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we see it. We see in the focus groups where people are like, okay, so what's the plus number here? Like how much, what am I going to have to pay for this? It's also the education process that you touched on is like, well, no, no, you're not, this isn't going from zero. You're already spending, right? You're like, it's going to cost you X for a PEO, but it's not additional money. You're already spending for all of these components, right? That you're not going to have to spend on anymore. And you'll then, then you know, then you have our fee, but again, it's not, it's not a plus number, right? It's, it, it nets out, right? You know, and a lot of the time, what happens is our aggregation, our purchasing power. I mean, that's the one thing yeah. we are. I mean, you know, we're purchasing master contracts across tens of thousands of employees. That offsets a lot of what, you know, our charges are. I mean, you're not looking, you're not paying a payroll service anymore. That's immediate yeah. and offset. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's not exactly this number that you put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, our, yeah. our ability to negotiate definitely, you know, helps them financially. Yeah. Do you have you noticed any is a loaded question, but in the last 20 years, is there an increase in awareness or is it still like everybody? Nobody's ever heard of us. Like, do you, when you're no, out- that's, that's increased. I mean, there's no question. I mean, you know, you went from, you know, asking someone if they've ever heard you know, what a PO is before, um, where most of the time you would say, no, I've never heard of it. Now you'd say I'd say more than half towards three quarters of the time someone has heard of what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, but they don't under- they still don't know what it is. It, it's again, it's funny. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's this, this, it's oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's HR outsourcing, it's yeah, whatever right. it is. And then, yeah. you know, um, when you do the education, that half hour, 45 minutes, they're like, wow, I never knew it was all that. So again, it goes a long time. Now they at least have heard of it. You know, then yeah, occasion, yeah. like I said, I had a law firm yesterday that I spoke with. Um, they'd never heard of PEO before. And she was like, this is great. How do I get you the data to be able to see if this works financially? So again, the value prop of it, if it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they get that, uh, which is which is great. What's You've come a long way. What's the biggest reason that uh, people don't uh, engage a PEO? What, what's the biggest reason that a sale doesn't happen? Like I said, first of all, earlier, if they're not outsourcing payroll, I mean, it's outsourcing. You've got to be able to let things go a little bit. So if you're still, you know, doing your own payroll in-house with a bookkeeper named Ida, okay, because that always seems to be the bookkeeper's name, okay, um, (laughs) you're not going to go to a PO. You you don't trust ADP or a payroll service to do payroll. You're not going to trust, you know, know, turning a lot of this stuff over. So that's definitely not a prospect. That's someone that's going to come away. Um, you also, like I said, there's there's businesses that, you know, still, of course, they'll look at it and say, financially, not worth it. Just not. And then there's also businesses that don't fit. Okay. They just don't. Okay. Um, depends how you run your business. Depends on the different things that you want to do. There's clients also. I mean, you're retaining a PEO also to help you to keep you compliant. And then you get prospects, well, I want to continue to do things this way. And we're like, well, you're not compliant. You yeah. can't continue to pay these people, you know, 1099. They're yeah. your employees, yeah. you know, and they don't want to listen. And that's not a prospect. Yeah. You know, so you, you do run across businesses like that. And that's the decision that they make. 
But like I said, it's you no. Know, like I said, it's it's businesses that just want to let it go. Financial commitments or just you know they want to just do things their way, and they'll continue to. Yep. Yep. So let me switch gears a little bit and talk about. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, M and A in this space, and I, I you know, just because we're friends, I know you got like uh, ten thousand phone calls over the last you know number of years uh, looking to uh, uh, invest or buy prestige. Um, what what flipped the switch? What made it happen? Right, that's a big decision, right? To decide to. Uh, uh, I, I guess I should say, maybe not everybody knows that, that you, you guys uh, sold or you got investors uh, a year ago, maybe? That's three years ago. Whoa, so, um, boy, I'm old. Yeah, so talk about that so, process, that decision process. That's so what happened was there were four partners. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them were looking to retire. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were like, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. And we went through a process of, you know, what we were going to do. We looked at an ESOP. We looked at financing from inside so they could retire, which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, went through the process where, um, you know, went through a couple of different private equity firms that we were looking at and we were interviewing. Arrived at one, TriSpan, which we felt very, very comfortable with. Um, they, at that point, the two partners took an exit. Mm-hmm. Myself and Larry remained. Mm-hmm. I rolled over all my equity. Larry rolled mm-hmm. over most of his as well. So mm-hmm. we're still there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we control a large portion of the company. Uh, from that point, we were able to, you know, have some investment in, in the company. So it enabled us to, uh, you know, grow in areas that we weren't able to grow or make investments within the company that we weren't able to make in the past. And at that point, also, then we turned the other way around and we conducted three acquisitions in the last three years mm-hmm. um, strategically in different markets in different parts of the country that we already had a footprint, but needed um, to plant our flag and grow. Um, we're in the process right now of discussing, you know, three to four more. Mm-hmm. OK, um, you know that, uh, you know, we're going to have a conversation with somebody this week. And again, in strategic places or strategic locations that will continue to increase our footprint across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you are right, though. But, you know, the phone rings, my cell phone rings, you know, people calling you nonstop, to, you know, and that's yeah. really not the relation. You know, like I said, it's, uh, you know, it, it does drive me crazy at times. Yeah. But, you know, again, we're looking for people on the other side where they're looking to stay. I'm not looking for someone that's looking to exit their PEO mm-hmm. and then just retire and go for the highest bidder. Yeah. I'm looking for somebody that wants to become our partner mm-hmm. um, and grow with us, roll some equity over, maybe take some off the table and continue to move forward. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not done with this industry yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I still believe that we're just, we still haven't even scratched the surface yeah. of what we yeah. can do. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it's exciting. I- I was going to ask you, no, I, I totally agree. I was going to ask you, uh, what, yeah, so so what is it you look for in a company that you acquired? Again, um, first of all, they're a match. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different things that go into it. What technological platform they're on? How do they run their business? What's the reputation of the owners, the principals? Are they looking to stay? Like I said, you know, I get I'm not a believer. I mean, we're not looking for a company where, like I said, the principals are looking to exit and with them, the relationships Okay, we're looking for somebody that's going to invest or roll over alongside of us um, mm-hmm. and then continue to move forward, you know, continue to grow and, yep. and, and, and continue to expand that footprint. And then, you know, eventually probably, yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to not going to die at my desk. 
Okay, you know, no, no one on that, no one on no one on that deathbed is they're looking up at God saying, "Boy, I wish I spent more time at the office." Okay, you know, it's got to be a time that we could enjoy life a little bit. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's exciting though. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, a lot of looking at that and the relationships and you know yeah. some of the camaraderie that we have through this industry that you know. Yeah who these people are, you know, you can work with them, you know, you can trust them, they can trust you. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a very comfortable environment. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I agree. It's, it's interesting to see that thread go through in, in terms of acquiring companies and what they look for, but uh, I'll switch gears again. Uh, you've been uh, incredibly involved. I mean, for the, the day I got, uh, installed or voted on as the uh, president of APO at the Argonaut Hotel. Uh, I met you uh, that night and, and wondered what the hell I got myself into. Uh, and so we've been friends ever since. But you've been so involved in NAPIO. You've got a full-time job. You're busy. Why? Why did you put all this time into the industry association? What, what made you do that? To move it forward. Uh, again, you know, it was funny because at the beginning of you know, my involvement with Napio, I was almost, you know, there was a very close circle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it was people that had been involved, you know, on the board and on the different committees for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, offered, you know, even to join the healthcare committee at that point, having my benefits knowledge and was like, oh, committee's full. We don't need anybody. I'm thinking, what kind of association is turning away volunteers? Okay. Uh, but it was very, it was very close group. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was, was that I was at a, uh, I, I came out to a board meeting. Um, I remember it was in, um, it was in Park City, Utah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. At the San yeah. Regis, I think it was Dales. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they had just done a strategic plan. And I was like, there's nobody, nobody ever asks for anything. I mean, it's just the same group of ideas. And we were pretty much in the same place. Okay. And for the handful of years that I had already been around and involved, again, I was looking maybe to, to crack the group and get in and, you know, be able to share some of the expertise that I had, especially because my expertise was coming from a complete different place yeah. that a lot of the PE owners that were there had. Yeah. Um, and eventually I'm um, at that point that Dale, um, Agabin at that point tapped me. There was a need to have somebody chair the uh, state government affairs committee. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I was like, All right, here's the opportunity. Right, let me get into this thing. Not really is what I was getting into at that point. <laughs> I was getting into a, a room full of screaming cats because you know, every PEO in every state had their own agenda of what they wanted this NAPIO's money to be used for in their state um, to get their legislative certainty. And it was a very dysfunctional group. Um, so it took it took about uh, it took it took time to get everybody organized, and we did. It was uh, it was very interesting how we did it, and I had turnover. NAPIO staff turned over on me a couple of times through that process, but I was chairman of state government affairs for five years. Okay, yeah. um, you know, and from that point, um, you know, from there, uh, you know, eventually, and it's funny because chairman of state government affairs at that point, you know, you did sit on the board of directors at Napio, so that yeah, was yeah. five years. And I remember not missing; I've never missed a board meeting. Yeah, um, yeah. And then from there, I was on the board for four more years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I was actually nominated and elected to the board of directors for four more years. Yeah. And then from there, I was secretary, past you know, chair, secretary, vice chair, chair. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've been on the board for a total of thirteen years. Wow. which I think is the longest of anybody there. But yeah. the purpose of it was being able to, you know, share your voice and share insight to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, you know, I've been on 
I don't know, Federal Government Affairs, Healthcare Committee. You know, I've probably been on eight to ten different committees. Now I'm chairman of the CEO yeah. committee. Um, yeah. But yeah. 